Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was blue within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the cold world, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was grassland. Okay, you want to uh, jump into it? Yeah, I uh, can do. I should start by having you introduce yourself, because if your name isn't Blue Pin, I don't know what to call you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. My name is uh, Victor. I am the co-owner, co-founder of uh, Blue Pin Studio. doesn't really mean much to anyone yet, but uh, we hope to make some really cool stuff in the future and get our name out there. It's a two-man team, me and a friend from high school. Gotcha. Cool. So uh, the last thing I we discussed before setting up the call was a project called Eggnog Incorporated, which is on yep. Steam. Is that right? Yep, it's on Steam. Uh, originally the game was a, a game jam game that we made over the, over a weekend, uh, but we decided, um, it has enough, it has enough content or enough of a kind of a, an interesting idea to make it into a full game and just to kind of do a trial run of, uh, releasing a game on steam. Sure. I saw what looked like a reference to LD. So this was an LD jam. Yep. Yeah. Ludum dare or Ludum dare, depending on <laughs> how you want sure. to pronounce it but yeah if you want to be official with it yeah how long ago was that uh what was the theme that time uh it was in october of 2020 uh the theme was stuck in a loop oh i did that one too oh you did yeah well there you go that was one of the better ones i thought there there have definitely been some themes over the last couple of years that didn't really resonate with me personally and yeah, you know, mm-hmm. maybe i'm just not as creative as some people but uh that one that one seemed like a good one and and now that you say that i can see how your uh, your game fits very well into that. How did you do during actual judging of the the LD Jam? Well, uh, there's like thousands of games that get submitted, so it's hard to be in the top anything. Right. But we did okay. We did better than our previous game jam. We got in the top 100 for humor, so that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. I was I think I was right under the top 100 for humor, and I was very happy with that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to get in the top 100. Very nice. Many, many games. So in that case, you, in a relatively short time, you've fleshed this out and put it up on Steam where uh, it looks like the reviews are generally positive. How are you liking the, the Steam experience so far? Well, it's kind of a, uh, it's cool to see your game on Steam and it's been like, you know, it's kind of like a, um, a huge milestone typically or has been in the past, but I feel like some of the, some of the, significance of being on steam has been kind of diluted by the way the steam works now is that anyone can just put up a game on steam you pay a hundred bucks and off you go they're not really gatekeeping quality anymore so i don't know i don't know how i feel about it i would have been way more impressed five years ago than i am now (laughs) and also it would have made a bigger impact five years ago than it does now I think that's probably true. That's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it is different talking to developers now who've just made it onto Steam than it was, like you said, before they sort of overhauled the uh, the entry process. I mean, you used to have to deal with Greenlight and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, you used to have to prove your game is good, but now it doesn't matter. Right. Now, now it, to be fair, it's more similar to, you know, the App Store or something like that, but... Uh, that is a mixed bag because now anybody can do it. And a hundred dollars isn't anything to somebody who wants to just try to asset flip or something like that. So 
yeah. these sincere projects, you're right. You've got an extra sort of hurdle to jump, but it looks like it's well-received. So. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, the thing is, what also what I expected is Steam to um, provide some organic traffic. I mean, I realize why why they can't necessarily because like maybe the 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 same the same day my game came out 40 others came out because it's something like 200 300 games come out every week on steam so obviously valve can't uh, give them all organic traffic or help them all succeed so it's kind of like uh basically steam for me now just seems like a place where i can host my game to be available for download and purchase no different than if i was just to put my put a zip file on my game on my own website yeah, it pretty much brings zero traffic. <laughs> it's it's become a thing that would be wrong to ignore it, but now now you're just sort of checking a box. I I get it. So um, for anybody not familiar with the game yet, tell them what the play experience is. Well, you uh, you start working at a company, a company that's a little bit fictitious because it's obsessed with eggnog. I, I mean, maybe that <laughs> exists somewhere out in real life. A company that's only thinking about eggnog hopefully but anyway you get uh you get eggnog cartons that are um kind of randomized and you have to determine if they're right or wrong like determine if there's any uh manufacturing issues with them like the wrong box art or the eggnog color is wrong or the ingredients are wrong and it gets progressively more and more complicated as the as you the longer you work there so then you start checking if it's flammable if what its ph level is and so on <laughs> it, it's surprisingly deep from the looks of it uh, for for what it is, which is uh, funny. It's also a very funny game. I can tell uh, just just at a glance. Um, a lot a lot of time spent on the humor and the uh, the parody, you know, box art and everything. I, I really like uh, that element of it. It's it's easy to see why this was ranked high for humor. And I I should note that your uh, Twitter account is pretty funny to follow. Also, yeah, we we try. We, I mean, yeah, we we don't take it too seriously. We we, we tried our best to the, the, in the eggnog game. The the CEO is like this. I have a Russian background. I was born in Russia, but I grew up in Canada. Mm-hmm. But so I felt like I was okay doing like a parody Russian accent and pretending to be a crazy Russian guy. Uh, so that's kind of what we made the CEO, just some weird, weirdo Russian guy. He talks about uh, making uh, cardboard cutouts of things and like all this really obscure stuff while while he's judging your performance in the game. Do uh, Do you guys play this kind of game like is this influenced by stuff that you know cracks you up when you're the player well i don't know i i mean i have played a few games like this um and some games that break the fourth wall i I don't know that it was based too much on anything that i've experienced i mean i have played papers please which is a very similar game right you play in this kind of weird sketchy russian environment east uh, eastern european environment and you're judging just whatever paperwork so it's kind of the same in that regard. I mean, we we had we drew a lot of comparisons while we were making it. Like, what what did Papers Please do that we liked? What did they do that we didn't like? Um, so, yeah. But but I mean, most of the games I actually play full time. Like, for the most part, is uh, like action games and RPGs and stuff. So it was kind of out of the out of the ordinary to make Eggnog Incorporated. Yeah, and you can't exactly be expected to draw from uh, too much action and RPG during a an LD Jam weekend. So I I get that. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, well, we were originally going to make an eggnog game where you play as a little carton and you make it's like a 2D platformer. But we felt like uh, there's going to be like 3000 2D platformers. You know, maybe we should try something else. This seems like a safe way to stand out. Um, I, I think you're right. I think Papers, Please probably inspired the uh, there has been a bit of a 
new trend of like job simulator games more so than uh, probably before Papers, Please. And some of them are very funny and some of them are very fun to play. So it's it's interesting to see when people are able to make that kind of resonate as a gameplay experience in addition to like, well, this is a way to, you know, crack some jokes and have a good time for a minute. So, yeah, it's actually hard to make it fun, if believe it or not. It's hard to make uh, checking documents or eggnog uh, fun. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I can see that because I've I've thought about this kind of thing before, because I feel like these type of games are a good way to draw on past experiences. You know, we've all had weird jobs at some point, and uh, it's a fun way to kind of tell that story. But yeah, it seems like it's difficult to uh, make a compelling gameplay experience as well. So yeah, kudos to you. Um, What is the uh, tool set you guys used for this? So my background is uh, I went to school uh, for jewelry design. So and, and I fix watches also as as my job. So my skills are purely kind of uh, dexterity with my hands, but I don't have a lot of knowledge of maths or programming languages. Uh, so I used a, a so- software called Construct 3, which is like kind of like a drag and drop. Uh, um, it, everything is in plain English. So like, you know, set the position of the carton to this, move the carton across the screen, you know, stuff like that. You don't have to learn a different language. You can program it all in English. Uh, so that's what I used. What does, uh, how does your partner contribute to this? He does all the art. So he Got was it. using a program called Aceprite, uh, just drawing the pixel art for the thing. So it, it's a pretty good fit. I don't think, I don't know if we could ever add a second programmer because I, I don't really know the intricacies of collaboration on the, on the same like script or the same thing. So we might just pile on artists and have me do the quote unquote programming for, for a while. It's a funny and it's a, a, a good fitting art style. So I, I like, I like how everything came together here. Um, work on watches. What What is the training like for that? Because that's that's a fascinating line of work to me. Yeah, uh, it's there is training available, uh, a formal training, in very few places around the world now, as you can imagine, uh, because yeah. it's not really that highly demanded kind of work. Uh, so you can go to Switzerland to learn at a school. There's uh, schools in America. Uh, there's one in Pennsylvania, but they only accept American citizens as, as students, so inaccessible to me as a Canadian. Hmm. There used to be a school in Canada, but they closed it down recently. So there's no schools here in Canada. So basically the main way to do it is you just uh, find someone who's already good at it and doing it and, um, you know, get a job with them or maybe just ask them to teach you for free. Sure. Yeah. Do a lot of people come through? I mean, do you stay busy? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now it's kind of strange because of COVID, but, um, normally, yeah. I guess that's true. I guess I guess fixing your watch is not the top of the priority list right now. But yeah, uh, exactly. Or just going out, you know, at all really. <laughs> yeah, certainly around here, like we we're in kind of a hot spot for it, and so I have been very locked down for going on a year now. So it's yeah, um, it's the same since March of last year. Right. Um, my part of Canada has been basically on lockdown, where gyms are closed, salons are closed, etc., for about twelve months now. And um, essential services are open, but everyone else is kind of like on a case-by-case basis. How are you guys doing on uh, rolling out the vaccine? Because we're doing a terrible job. I have no idea, actually. Mm. I don't really watch the news, and I just sit at home uh, for the most part. So I don't know what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a real mess. And yeah, it's almost, it's almost better. I think you're probably uh, happier than I am as a result. <laughs> 
Well, all I, I do know from my American friends that we're doing a much better job, or at least our government's doing a much better job, uh, kind of uh, keeping us afloat financially. Because mm-hmm. for the last 12 months, we've been getting $2,000 checks every month. Um, God bless you. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know what the implications are tax-wise in the future or, or, how, or where the money is coming from, but no complaints for now. And, you know, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, because it's, it's so important that we take – and not to, you know, dive too far into this, but, I mean, it's such a critical thing right now that we just do whatever's required to fix the problem. You know, uh, we'll deal with the rest because here, um, we're even more than at a government level, we're dealing with, uh, the state level and every state wants to handle things differently. And my state wants to just, uh, send all the kids back to school, open everything back up and we're nowhere close. We're nowhere close to that time. And, and they're, Mm -hmm. they're saying like, well, what are the implications in terms of the economy, in terms of, you know, the kids education? It, It really doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters right now until we fix this life-threatening situation first and then and then move on. That's, you know, my, my yeah. soapbox about that. But um, It's, uh, it's, it's, it's um, kind of harrowing but also fascinating to live in this time because it's kind of like unprecedented. At least I'm, maybe it is completely unprecedented that the whole world is shut down and, you know, it's yeah. fascinating. I read somewhere we only really hit this level of, you know, pandemic, like every hundred years or so. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. most everybody is going through their first round of anything like this. And in many ways, yeah, I I agree. I think there's never been anything like this. We're dealing with questions that don't really have a playbook to to draw from. And it's not only a fascinating time to uh, just try to survive everyday life, but it's a really interesting time to do creative things you know, contribute to things online and reach out and do business online. It's, we'll always look back at this time and go, yeah, we, we survived that thing and here's what we did and how we did it as horrible as it is. But yeah, I agree. It's very interesting right now. Yeah. And actually the, the pandemic, um, was basically the only reason I am making games, uh, because I was able to sit at home full time and, and, uh, crack on with whatever, what my, my actual passion is, is to video games. And I thought, I'm going to start making games. And so we made a few small games for small game jams. We did maybe three or four of those. And the fourth game jam where we uh, did the eggnog game. And we've been working on a much bigger project, like a big RPG project along the way since March. Yeah, I mean, this time has been really good for for me creatively because I've had so much time at home. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, AppFigures. AppFigures is all about helping game makers get more downloads and revenue. You know AppFigures for analytics and app store optimization. Now AppFigures can help you track competitors, from downloads and earnings to their audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives great context. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news, with App Figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. Have a new app or game idea? App Figures will show you how big the market is and how much you could earn. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, App Figures can help you reduce risk and get more downloads without a huge budget or a data science degree. It's affordable and simple. 
AppFigures provides guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step -step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for three months. Again, that's GDB3030 to get 30% off for three months. Big thank you to AppFigures for sponsoring the show. So you want to kind of keep it going once things sort of open back up and move on. You want to try to keep things rolling? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I'm still probably going to have to work full time because eggnog incorporated sales aren't exactly, uh, they can't exactly sustain sure. someone full time, especially two people if we're splitting it 50-50. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you've managed to do several jam projects in the last year, then doing a Steam release and working on something larger. That's still pretty aggressive. I mean, good, yeah. good for well, you. <laughs> what else are we going to do? We're all at home. The government is uh, keeping us cozy. So we just work on our passions. That's great. I mean, uh, what a silver lining, you know, get to, get to take a swing at something you never really were able to do before. I mean, that's pretty great. Yeah. I kind of feel tempted to write that this, this game was funded by the government of Canada, but maybe I should have. <laughs> I don't know if they wanted me to use the money for that. That's true. I've spoken with developers from Canada before, and it's always kind of a mixed thing because it sounds to me like Canada has made a variety of efforts to uh, contribute to creative digital projects, uh, games and VR stuff and things like that. But it sounds like much the way it is here, it's sort of always caught up in a political push and pull, you know, is that is mm -hmm. that right for you as well? Yeah, I mean, that, that stuff, all those grants and all the efforts of uh, government to uh, stimulate games and creative stuff is all done on like a state level for us here. So it's different for different places where you live in Canada. Um, for the most part, I think it, it's like Vancouver and Montreal uh, or, or their states, British Columbia and Quebec are the, are the main kind of where all the grants are for that kind of stuff. Uh, the where I live here is, the, is Toronto, which is... Uh, the province is Ontario, and I don't know that they have too many grants. I, I looked into it a while ago, and I remember there being nothing even remotely applicable to me. It's all like, um, you know, if you want to build a factory that uses AI in some way, we'll give you a hundred grand or whatever. It's not like game related, from what I from what I remember. Maybe there's something small, but nothing sure. that stands out. And maybe this is lofty, but, you know, maybe you uh, you get these projects going, you get some uh, experience under your belt, maybe you make a career jump to do this uh, during the day too, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about it. And like Ubisoft has an office here and, and stuff like that in my city. But I thought about like, are, are most big game many, or companies that make games or test games or whatever, are they going to allow an employee that works for them that is also trying to release games on steam on their own free time? It feels kind of, kind of like, um, a conflict of interest. Um, it's an interesting point. Uh, but I, I do think, especially the bigger studios, I think Ubisoft would be a, a good one. I think they kind of get it because for one thing, I think they sort of encourage that because anybody who's working on this, outside of the day-to-day uh, -day responsibilities is sharpening a tool set and, you know, learning new stuff. So I think they probably just have an agreement that 
you know, clearly everybody knows what is and isn't okay in terms of like, don't, don't uh, leak stuff you're doing at work and don't encroach on, you know, directly compete with us. But I, I feel like usually they're okay with it. But yeah, you're right. Mm. It's, it's definitely something to watch out for. Because I feel like eventually, if you work at Ubisoft, you'll learn things like, you know, how they do their p- production pipeline and, and uh, how how they, you know, mix and master audio properly and all that stuff. And if so, if you start using that stuff in your games while you're working for them, like if you start using the techniques, which is unavoidable, you mean you learn stuff, so you use it. Yeah, I don't know. If I was Ubisoft, I wouldn't hire someone who's actively working on, on their own games. Yeah, I, would, I would hire someone who has made games in the past. But they would have to tell me that they're not currently working on any games. And I kind of wonder if we're about to see a little bit of a shift because I just read about one of the big publishers and it might have been Ubisoft. They were saying how they're going to sort of transition to less like big AAA releases and they want more of their funding to come from like small projects and um, free to play stuff and less, you know, Mm -hmm. less Assassin's Creed and more small like mobile stuff. So right. I kind of wonder if we're heading toward a bit of a convergence between those skill sets anyway, and they'll maybe be more interested in that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I heard the same thing, and people were commenting on it saying things like, you know, because that, that I think what they were talking, what you were talking, what you mentioned there was uh, mentioned at a, in an um, investor's, uh, investor, like, yeah. call or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. we want to call it. And it's funny because, like, everything they said during that, is like the opposite of what their core audience wants to hear free to play and the casual. It's like that, that doesn't really appeal to people who really like like Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. But Oh yeah. The, anyway, <laughs> those comment sections were a dumpster fire for sure. But <laughs> yeah, it just, uh, it just goes to show you that investors and the users are completely opposite people. Yeah. That's, that's kind of something funny. We're kind of seeing now. Cause I mean, CD project reds now dealing with that too, their players versus their investors and stuff. It's, it's a wild yeah. time to follow this stuff, really. Yeah. I don't know. Free to play. That whole free to play stuff is really stinky to me. It's it's really like, I don't know. It seems manipulative. I mean, to some degree, you want players to enjoy your game and want to pay for your game and everything, but I don't know. They have too many tricks. Yeah. And, and I'm somebody who will happily like download a mobile game or uh, grab something free to try on the Switch. So I feel like I see a lot of this stuff and some are way better than others. Um, you, you sort of get to know the publishers who are going to try absolutely anything. Unfortunately, Ubisoft has some very bad habits with this. Like, um, what's an example? They have a new Assassin's Creed game that you can, uh, it's, um, it's practically an idle, uh, you know, game where you just let the game play itself, but they'll do stuff like, oh, one of your daily objectives is you have to watch an ad. Like, what kind of policy is that? Wow. <laughs> uh, so. I've actually never played an idle game. They advertise them as here's a game you can play. And here's a game where that progresses and even if you don't play. And I've always thought that's a weird way to advertise your game. Why would I want that? Like if I'm actively playing, why do I want someone who's not playing to keep up with me? What the hell is that all about? It is nonsense, honestly. <laughs> um, the good ones almost have kind of a management sim like feel to them because the idea is if you're if you're smart about how you set it up, the game will progress faster than if you were just sitting around staring at it. But uh, mm-hmm. there's there's really nothing to it. And when I did the same LD jam we we discussed earlier, uh, mine was mm-hmm. kind of to, to crack jokes at mobile games where the loop you're in is you have this tiny game to play and you keep going through the exact same thing, doing the same stuff and seeing ads every time. 
and uh, make sure to click on this every time and download this from the app store. So like <laughs> you're the one stuck in the loop instead of just the play loop. Like you are the loop. It's constantly throwing this barrage of nonsense at you. And uh, I, <laughs> it, it struck a chord with people because people recognize this thing that's sort of getting worse and worse in the app space all the time. And uh, yeah, it's easy to see why people depend on AAA stuff just to get away from the rest of that. I get it. I know. Can you imagine though Assassin's Creed going free to play and then they have advertisements? It's like, my God, you know, like the last bastion of humanity gets destroyed. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm afraid that that shift in mindset could easily go that direction. Like now it's sort of like open world and we'll release just a mini quest every once in a while. And uh, here's your season pass and here's your, <laughs> your loot box. And oh, yeah, my God. What you know? It's I, I've been thinking about it lately. Uh, where they make like really cool skins. I was uh, watching my friends. I was working on something and watching my friend stream on the side, and he was playing Valorant. And there was these really cool weapon skins that I was seeing, like uh, like space effects and one's a dragon and all this crazy stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, look at all this cool stuff. But then I remembered that the devs basically make this cool stuff only for the paying users. Like you have yeah. to spend money for this. It's like we can make really cool stuff and. People will be fulfilled and people will love it, but we can't simply just make it and let them use it. We have to get them to pay for it. I, I feel like that's the unfortunate, uh, cert- an unfortunate reality that we live in where like the devs can make really cool stuff and like really fun DLC and all this stuff, but but it's always locked behind a paywall. Yeah, the, the money is always going to stand between what the players want and what the players get, it seems to me. Well, tell me this. Um, so you're, you're working on a big project for, uh, you know, to, to do something a little bit bigger and more official now, now that you're underway. What kind of dreams do you have for this? I mean, what kind of stuff do you really want to do? Is it is it going to be that same action RPG kind of stuff? Or uh, what would you like to do if you could just do anything? Well, um, I really, I'm just catering to my own nostalgia largely. And hopefully others will follow, others will appreciate uh, I really liked Zelda as a kid, yeah, and Fable. Um, so I like the idea of like decisions mattering and morality and stuff like that, but also like RPG elements, like collecting stuff and growing your character to become more powerful. So I'm just kind of mixing all the games I really like in, into one, taking the what I think is the good parts and combining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean the fact that it's a 2D RPG is just out of necessity, simply because. Again, I don't know any programming languages, and I don't know of anything I can make 3D games with without knowing any programming languages. So it's going to be 2D, but uh, it should still be good. I don't know. It's like those 2D Zelda games. Those are really nice, like Minish Cap or Link to the Past. Minish Cap. Those are great. Every time you bring up Minish Cap, everybody goes, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird, though, because I don't see anyone talk about it that much. Right. Compared to like uh, Ocarina of Time and uh, Majora's Mask and that. Exactly. It doesn't get nearly enough credit, but anytime it comes up in a room, at least a few people go, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, I see, I think those sort of nostalgia-fueled uh, 2D projects are still going to be in demand for quite a long time. I don't know if that'll ever go out of style, because it's just, it, it strikes a chord with people, and they go, yep, I know exactly what you're going for, give me that. Mm-hmm. You know, we were thinking of one, one thing that we're still actively uh, deciding on, and maybe you could weigh in on it is how do you make a game that has um, kind of uh, a realistic sense of time passing, like NPCs getting older, your character getting older, etc. How does that 
like because you have to make contingencies, right? What if uh, if an NPC gets so old that he passes away and he's vital to some quest? What happens now? Is that quest broken, or do you have to get his? Do you have to get someone else who inherits that part, his part in the quest, or like how does it all work? And not a lot of games tackle that because it's too complicated, and it's probably you don't get much reward for all the effort you go to. But mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting thing that I want to explore, maybe maybe doing. You, you're right. It's something that not a lot of games try to do, but the ones that do try to do it, they stand out almost every time. Um, mm-hmm. What was that uh, game Epic did? Infinity Blade tries a very fast version of that. I don't know if you've ever played that, but each... No, I haven't played it. Basically, your hero goes through a tower, goes through a series of, of duels, and when they die, because you'll for sure die, uh, it starts over with that hero's son, who's now going to go try the same thing, and you go through generation after generation, and uh, mm-hmm. game, games that do stuff like that, it, it's such a cool element. It's I think it's a great thing to try to incorporate, so... Mm-hmm. I would say be very creative with it, try it, and uh, you'll you'll for sure get some credit on that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we can make it compelling. Well, that's the key. <laughs> it's a neat thing that I've never, I've honestly never tried in any of my projects. So uh, yeah, maybe I'm the wrong guy to ask, but I, I do I do think it's a great goal to shoot for. I, it's a great mm-hmm. element to incorporate. Yeah, we'll see. So Construct Three, that's, I mean that's that's a fairly popular engine uh comparable i guess to game maker and and stuff like that but it seems like you caught on quick right <laughs> doing pretty well i would say i would say it's on par popularity wise with game maker and stuff like that um it's largely popular with people who make mobile games uh there's yeah. not a lot of people making pc releases simply because you know it's like i think what how it works is it's in html5 and then that gets put into like a a JavaScript wrapper to be able to run on desktop, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's kind of like a game, like a, an engine within an engine. Not the best for performance, not the best for complexity and stuff like that. Um, so maybe that's why people don't use it for desktop. But actually, um, a game everyone's been talking about lately, Cyber Shadow, uh, mm-hmm. was made using Construct. A little known fact. I Yeah, so every cool. once in a while I hear about a, a popular Construct project. And not only that, but... What you mentioned, you know, going through HTML5 and JavaScript and being in a wrapper and then running on uh, both, I've heard of PC and consoles. Uh, what was the game? Uh, CrossCode, I think. A game around that time, I think it was CrossCode, does the exact same thing, but not inside Construct. So several engines and several frameworks do that exact same thing, even though we all agree it's maybe not the most efficient thing, but people come up with very uh-huh. fun, very compelling projects and uh, and launch them exactly that way. So, I, you know, I guess yeah. that's sort of around to stay. Yeah. I mean, I think also one of my favorite games, Fable, uh, they released their anniversary edition, which is like a remastered of the original game. And they, they moved to Unreal Engine. But but I think that how the the way that it works is it runs the original Fable, but inside Unreal Engine. And then Unreal Engine makes real-time changes to the textures and lighting and stuff. I'm not sure. But yeah, so even even bigger companies do stuff like that. See, I have Fable Anniversary Edition because I was a, a huge Fable fan also back when it first came out. Uh, I don't even want to mm-hmm. know how many years ago that was now because it'll make me feel too old. 17 years, I think. Oh, I knew it was around 20 and I didn't want to hear 20. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. I love Fable and I, I didn't know that it was doing anything interesting like that. But uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's well, all of us uh, people because I also speed run Fable. Yeah. Uh, not not very much, but I'm a part of the the community in a way, and 
we're all kind of uh, unsure about what's going to happen here because it, it, it could be a massive disappointment or maybe not. We'll see. How fast can Fable be played? Uh, well, casually Fable, the, the original Fable one and, and the, the Lost Chapters like expansion for it, um, casually, I don't know, I play it with my friend uh, casually, maybe eight hours, something like that. But the speedrunners get it down to about an hour. My God. So you go through <laughs> the whole game in one hour, give or take. I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of like clipping through places you shouldn't go. Like, tell uh, you can use this companion to to teleport to basically kind of teleport on the other side of a door you're not supposed to have access to and stuff like that. That's funny. I, I never it never occurred to me to to speedrun Fable. So that's funny that people are doing that. Oh yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> if you, if there's a game out there, it has a speedrun. That's true. These speedrunners are brilliant. Like, it's incredible to oh, me. Yeah. They should all have high-paying QA jobs if they don't already. Uh, yeah. I always wondered how much of, uh, how many things were discovered, how many speedrun things uh, were actually discovered by people who were testing the game before it released. I, yeah. I hope that some of the people testing games are, are do the same thing that the speedrunners do, like try to pick up a bucket and shove it through the corner and see what happens and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I never thought about it before, but if I was hiring a QA person, I would... I would put a, a speedrunner at the top of the list. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. good stuff. So, well, anyway, uh, let people know where they can find uh, the game and uh, you online. Sure. Uh, well, you can find us on Steam, Eggnog Incorporated. Uh, you, actually, if you just search Eggnog, we're the only Eggnog game on Steam, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then our links are there on the on the page. We have a Twitter, Bluepin Studio 1. The Bluepin Studio is already taken. Well, I'm in talks. I'm in talks to buy. <laughs> nice. And that's about it. Well, everybody check out the premier eggnog experience on Steam. <laughs> and yep. and uh, follow Blue Pen to see what's uh, coming up next. Well, uh, thank you for volunteering to talk this weekend. Uh, this, was, this was fantastic. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I love the podcast. Keep it up. I'm an active listener. I just actually finished listening to the uh, yesterday's episode. So... Oh, awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> well, great. I will, uh, we'll check in later when you're, uh, further along on the next project and, uh, see how things are going. All right. Sounds good. If you enjoy the game dev breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe anywhere. Hit that follow button on Spotify. We have show notes at codewriteplay.com. You can subscribe to our new newsletter. If you would like to get game industry news, game development resources, you name it, once a week, check out CodeWritePlay.com and click on that newsletter tab. You just put in your email and we will take care of the rest. We'll not bug you very often. Reach out on social media. You can find at GameDevPod, which is the podcast, CodeWritePlay, and me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two Ls. Love hearing from you, your feedback, your questions, your topics. Love it all. Find our uh, Discord server at CodeWritePlay.com. Uh, hang out with us during the week. We're your virtual co-workers all week long. That's it for this time. We'll be back with more great stuff in just a few days. So for Game Dev Breakdown and for CodeWritePlay, Todd Mitchell here saying, take care, everybody. Talk to you real soon. Congratulations on your Game Dev Breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.